Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. Happy New Year to you. Welcome back. Um, We begin this year amazingly, um, considering this is the first week of January, already now in the heat of the 2020 presidential campaign, which is both, um, I guess, invigorating and depressing and um, challenging. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. Um, I wrote earlier this week um, about how reporters should be thinking about covering 2020. Um, We had on New Year's Eve, Elizabeth Warren basically kick off the campaign season with news that she was going to be um, getting her campaign rolling. And that started a lot of coverage. And it it re- enforce a lot of the mistakes that reporters made in the last round because they started making them all again. Um, so we want to talk about that in some detail. But before we get to that, um, there was a speech by Donald Trump from the Oval Office on Tuesday night about the wall and the government shutdown. And it, again, I think it's sort of part of a piece with this 2020 question because it sort of prompted a lot of discussion about how do we approach Trump? Should the networks have um, given him airtime? How should they have responded to the lies that we knew he was going to say, which he ended up saying? Um, so, again, it's part of this bigger question of how to approach politics in a very strange age. And I'm thrilled to be joined by John Alsop, who has been um a CJR colleague for a few years now, and now is the um, writer of our daily email called The Media Today that goes to everybody's inbox first thing in the morning every day. If you don't get it, you should, because it's a great roundup of what's going on in media. John spent last night and this morning looking at both Trump's comments and also the media response to them and how they handled him. And I thought it would be a good way to sort of frame this whole discussion. John, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Kyle. Great to be back on the kicker. Yes. Um, So you sort of spent a lot of time looking at um, the the Twitter and the on-air response of the TV networks to Trump's um, comments. But before we get to that, sort of frame this for us to help us understand, like, what the debate was going in. I mean, so you had you had Trump saying, I want airtime in prime time because I want to make the case why the wall is important. And that prompted what from the media industry? Yeah, just to wind back uh, maybe a little bit, Trump, of course, uh, finds himself in the middle of this intractable government shutdown. Uh, and he tweeted um, earlier this week that he was, as part of his messaging strategy, I guess, going to um, address the nation in prime time for the, from the Oval Office. It would be the first time uh, in his presidency that he's used that platform. Of course, uh, past presidents have used it um, more frequently. Um, and it, it presented a quandary, I think, for um, you know for the networks, because on the one hand, he's the president of the United States, and we are in the middle of a government shutdown that he must be involved in ending one way or another. And so his words, in that sense, carry weight. Uh, but on the other hand, Um, Obviously, we know that Trump has a record of misinforming the public and of misinforming journalists. Um, This speech was uh, was about immigration in the end and the border. Um, You know, the Washington Post fact checker counted, you know, well over a thousand lies that Trump told or or should have lies or misleading statements about immigration alone between him taking office and the end of last year. Um, And so I think that was that was the debate, really. It was, is it okay to have 
the president on TV if he's going to mislead the public, which seemed very likely. And so I think that was the the calculus, uh, the principal calculus that was going through uh, network executives' heads after Trump announced. And they did uh, spend some time deliberating on it before eventually they all, they all, they all did decide that they would air it. Uh, in the meantime, though, there were quite a lot of folks, uh, sort of media commentators, um, and I guess uh, sort of uh, left-wing commentators also, people in sort of democratic circles who were saying, you know, no way, you shouldn't let him go on if he's just going to lie to people. And it dovetailed, I think, with a, with a broader debate that's been going on for a while about um, airing Trump's words. Um, I think, you know, obviously there was a time where we would see a lot more of his campaign-style campaign rallies on TV. Networks sort of got to a point where they were airing those maybe in a less wall-to-wall way because they were so repetitive and because they so frequently, again, contained falsehoods. People then were asking, logically, should that extend to other types of perhaps more formal, more presidential address? Um, And uh, Oliver Darcy did a piece that turned out to be kind of very well-timed last week for CNN where he spoke to Margaret Sullivan and Todd Gitlin and and, some other smart folks about about this question. And they, they all pretty much said, you know, you shouldn't have Trump on if he's just going to lie to people. So I right. think that was that was kind of the backdrop for this. But but obviously, in the end, all the networks decided they they would have him on, um, which, of course, did not mollify their critics one bit. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I, I actually thought I, I actually thought it was a tougher call than <clears throat> than maybe some people did. Only the only reason why was because because of what was going on with the shutdown. I mean, the shutdown is real. It's not a political—I mean, it's a political thing, but it it is also a paycheck um, to a lot of people, and it's sort of critical government services to a lot of other people. And and so I thought that um, whatever—if Trump was going to say anything of substance about that, um, because, you know, let's face it, he does have it in his power to end that or to pledge to prolong it, um, I think that it's important— news that made the, I mean, it was an important possibility that made this thing sort of bigger than just another um, stump speech about the need for a wall. That was that was the argument. Now, in the end, he didn't say anything about any of that. Um, he basically just sort of repeated his talking points about the wall, and he made up sort of uh, terrible stories about things that are going to happen if we let these people continue to come in. So, you know, it was all for naught, really. And I think that, you know, in hindsight, it clearly seemed to me a bad idea. Um, so the interesting question is, next time he at, makes this request, um, will the networks stand up to him? I mean, it's amazing that we are this halfway, more than halfway into his tenure. And his value as a attractor of audiences has not diminished. Right. Uh, no, absolutely. I would also add to what you said about the kind of calculus here, that there was credible reporting, uh, as there still is, actually, that Trump is considering declaring uh, a national emergency, which would potentially give him extremely broad powers in a range of areas, not which just would have been, around the border. Which would have been big, you know, news so big, I think it would have justified the decision to air it, right? Or not? What do you think? But I do think there is a broad attention here that goes beyond this shutdown context. Um, Trump is the president, and an informed citizenry clearly does need to know what the president is saying. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that a given network has to carry him. I mean, Trump has no shortage of, of different ways to get his message out. Um, I guess the problem, that, again, is, is you know, the, the, the information the citizenry 
you know needs or should have access to um, needs to be needs to be good information. Obviously, presidents have always spun; they've always emphasised some things over others. But I think certainly in in living memory, we haven't had a president who lies so openly and frequently and brazenly as Trump does. And if you watched his address last night, um, there were several very key falsehoods in there that were just sort of thrown away and then weaved into a broader narrative that if you didn't have the facts available to you or thought he was a totally trustworthy uh, interlocutor, you may well have come away thinking that sort of makes sense as an argument. But again, it was it was based on falsehoods. So I think that I think there really is a fundamental tension there, right? People need to know what he's saying. Um, but if what he's saying is substantially not true in many ways, and again, I don't I don't necessarily think I or you know, lots of other people in the media currently really have a, a clear sense of that, an answer to it. So how do you think the networks did um, in the moment in terms of um, fact-checking, in terms of some kind of live call-out? I mean, I noticed in your write-up, which included input from a lot of the CJR staff, that there actually wasn't real, real-time real fact-checking. Right. No, there, there was not, which I was... Um, a little surprised by, honestly. Um, CNN has actually done it before, not with not with Trump, but with uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders at a, at a briefing, which I believe was about climate change in late November. They had a kind of bar down the side while she was talking, which flashed up actual facts that were relevant to what she was saying, which in some cases was not true. Um, so clearly that there is sort of, again, not with Trump necessarily, but there is a precedent for it with this administration. Um, and it's I not think. hard to do, right? I mean, you just have somebody sitting at a at a at a terminal writing in the Chiron as it as the guy's talking. Yeah, I mean, and potentially it's not easy to do. Trump is unpredictable, right? He's volatile, and um, if he had totally gone off script and started saying just the first thing that came into his head last night, it could have been a difficult thing to do and do well. But you know, a lot of people predicted that he was going to sit there and kind of spew forth the same sort of pat talking points uh, on immigration and the border that he's been tweeting and saying and having his surrogate say for the last couple of weeks. And in the end, that was exactly what he did. And so mm. I think, yeah, I think with hindsight, you can certainly say it would have been possible to do it. Um, I think also, you know, you did have some of the networks even online and then also the Washington Post and the Times doing live real-time fact-checking. Mm. You can't sort of translate the whole block of text from a web page onto a Chiron but you can, I think you can have sort of bullet points which pretty clearly get across that some of the things that you're hearing are not true. And given the controversy, uh, controversy sorry, around, um, you know, around whether he should be shown live, given that the networks had a whole kind of, you know, over a day and a half of lead into this, and given that there were prominent voices in the media industry saying there needs to be some kind of live fact-checking, it's kind of surprised that no one did it. There was fact-checking that happened before and after he spoke. Um, and as I said, also online, for, including from, from some of the networks, and that's all better than nothing. But yeah. I think if you're just going to kind of float around and you're going to hop over and watch him do his eight or nine minute spiel, and then you're going to go and watch something else, obviously you need something, you know, that's on the screen. Yeah. And to come back to the point I, I sort of mentioned uh, a little while ago, also, you know, he constructed a narrative, he constructed an argument, and it, it's compelling when you're listening to a narrative and an argument to believe it when it flows through. But several of the cornerstones of his argument were based on falsehoods. And I think it would have been really helpful rather than preempting them or, or you know, fact-checking them at the end to have some kind of real-time sense that, you know, the key things that he was arguing were not were not true. Yeah. 
I mean, what was in this we can use to sort of pivot to now look at the presidential presidential campaign that lays that lies in front of us. Um, I mean, what what's sobering about all this is that this debate it, it's so old. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, right. I remember you know during the campaign when the network started showing live coverage of his plane circling. Um, to these rallies, and then they would show him getting off the plane, and then they would carry his his entire rally live. And there was, and this has been like several years now, where, and that prompted this big discussion. You know, should we should 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 these things be aired live? Um, should there be fact checking? And and it's like blah 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 blah. We're back here. We still are having the same discussion. And then, and then, so this sort of brings me to this, to the coverage of the campaign, which is, so um, you had Elizabeth Warren announce her, her, uh, the fact that she was forming this official campaign apparatus um, in a video. I think it was on New Year's Eve, right? Um, it was, yeah. Um, and there, and then there was this swarm of coverage about, um, you know whether was it smart of her to do it on New Year's Eve or should she have done it on New Year's Day and and what about the way the video was constructed and 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 what about you know all this stuff about her Native American background and and there was so much of that and so little discussion about like all I mean she is actually an incredibly detailed substantive United States senator with a lot of ideas and she has a, a you know back from when she was running the Consumer Protection Bureau she has a lot of of sort of public record about what she thinks about, especially about the economy and about income inequality and about sort of um, um, equity and the way that business conducts itself and all of this stuff. And and I just thought the coverage was way skewed towards, and then there was the immediate sort of like horse race coverage about, okay, well, what does this mean now? And and there was all this speculation about, okay, so the other candidates, they, they need to get in the race in the next few weeks and and here's a list of 19 people who could or may not run, and and it just seemed to to me to be an exact replica of the kind of coverage that turned out to be so lame in 2016 and so inadequate in telling us um, who Donald Trump was, how what what how did he really stack up against Hillary, um, what are the issues that the country cared about? It, it was depressing to me because um, it just seems like. People learn nothing. I, yeah, I do. I agree with you. I think um, maybe maybe I'm naive or have sort of been around for fewer of these. I don't know, but I think I think at this early stage, um, there is. I don't want to say a cause for optimism, but maybe maybe a sort of a more of a case for wait and see. Um, I think that at this stage there is inevitably going to be horse race horse race type coverage, and I think some of it, particularly with regards to how the Democratic field is going to shape up will be quite useful because how many candidates there are, who they are, I mean, it's going to be a pretty crowded affair. That's going to weigh on how much airtime they get and, and, you know, who's going to sort of line up in which policy lane and who's going to appeal to which constituencies. And, and that stuff can tie into to more substantive reporting. And I think it's inevitable we're going to see that for now. Yeah, but it's, a question, it's, it's a question of weight, right? I mean, it's a oh, question of, like, yeah. how much of the coverage is that and how much of the coverage is... What does this person believe, and and what is what are the chances that those beliefs can actually turn into real things? But I do, more broadly speaking, agree with you about the quality of the coverage. Uh, and I think, as I wrote uh, last week, that with Elizabeth Warren in particular, there are very clear sort of 
pitfalls that recall the 2016 election that the press, you know, could fall into. One of the huge problems last time was this total over-focus on Hillary's emails for whatever reason, I, I think probably because Trump was so kind of scandal-prone, they felt they had to balance it out with the one semi-whiff of scandal they could find about mm-hmm. Hillary. We've sort of seen, I think, Warren's DNA test, where she sought to sort of confirm her Native American ancestry, but got widely pilloried for it. We, we've seen that kind of feature in a lot of early coverage of her. Then, of course, they're both women. A lot of the coverage has been blatantly gendered, if not sexist. She clearly does sort of recall these pitfalls that were fallen into last time. And, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see if, if they are fallen into again. Mm. I thought um, Todd Gidlin's piece for us was very smart in the sense that it said that, you know, Warren has this very clear agenda, right? She has a clearer, as you, I think, also touched on uh, in your speech a minute ago, a much clearer kind of economic agenda than than, than Clinton had, I think, right. uh, or certainly a more distinctive one, which right. will be an opportunity for the press to talk about more sub- substantive stuff with her. Yeah. The main criticisms from 2016 were um, that the coverage didn't focus, well, one, that there was this attempt to align um, the scandals of Trump with the scandals of Clinton and make them equal, which was not, which was, which is bogus because they were of a different scale. Um, there was this focus on personality and, and the horse race of politics over policy. Um, and then there was just a kind of, um, um, superficiality to a lot of the coverage where it sort of would, 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 you know, dig into one substantive area, but then very quickly move on um, and not sort of spend the time to really understand this stuff. Um, and, you know, obviously in the background of all of this is what's happening on the on the business side of the of journalism, which is there's fewer reporters, there's fewer um, outlets, there's fewer, um, there's less time for everybody. So, um, you know, every, basically every presidential campaign um, is being covered by a journalistic community that is weakened from the previous one. And I don't think that this one will be any different. So it's, it's a question of how, how, do you, how do you allocate these resources? And, of course, now you have the Trump factor weighing in a much larger way. Um, he is the president. He's going to demand attention. Uh, I, mean, I think we're – well, I, I have no idea, but it doesn't look like we're getting particularly close to the end of the – whole Mueller thing that's going to have to sort of compete for time with the um, with the with the Democratic primaries as, as they take shape. There's, of course, a possibility, nay, likelihood that Trump will face some kind of primary challenge himself. Yeah, no, so, I, yeah you're right. Nick. I, I'm of the opinion that, like, as intense as the last two news, the last two two years have been in terms of a news cycle, that there that this this year is going to like far exceed that just in terms of the intensity of it, in terms of the um attacks on the press. I think the more pressure Trump gets into, or the more pressure he feels, the more that's just going to amp up. Um, So I think it's going to be a really rocky, but totally fascinating and riveting and compelling year. But I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be rough. You know, just in terms of a short-term horizon, he's pledged to go to the border, is it this week, right? To, um, to do a kind of tour of the, of the border. Yeah, on on Thursday. So. What's interesting is that he was he told network anchors off the record, which was later quoted, 
that he saw that this whole thing was sort of a waste of time and that this trip to the border was basically just a photo op that's not really going to change any opinions. So he said that. Um, and so it really <laughs> makes you wonder, like, how do you cover that? I mean, the president himself has said this is sort of a waste of time and there's nothing of substance that's going to come out of it. It does sort of re- bring back these kind of the coverage of these campaign rallies. Like, if you know that that's what this is, will will the coverage sort of adjust accordingly? Well, I think it's it's a sort of, uh, you know, referring back to that, uh, the Times article where they, they quoted him. Yeah, saying he thought the whole thing was a waste of time. Sort of this funny, like, you just wonder if anyone's heart is left in it at this point, right? It's like the anchors are like, oh, no, he wants to come on and do a, a sort of address to the nation. I guess we probably have to show that, that there isn't much enthusiasm. And then there are critics on the outside screaming, why are you showing Trump? He's just going to lie to your viewers. And then Trump himself goes, don't look at me. I thought this whole thing was stupid. Look at those guys and points at <laughs> Kellyanne Conway and Bill Shine. You know, it's, it's I don't know. And, and, yeah, and, and it is, I think, just exhausting for everyone involved. Well, I'm very happy to have John um, taking control of the um, daily email for us. Thanks a lot for uh, for talking, and thanks for uh, doing that every day. If you don't subscribe, um, you should. It's called The Media Today. You could There's a link to subscribe at, at our website at cjr.org. Um, John, thanks a lot. Thank you very much for having me.